This is Project 1521. I'm Sarah Harris. Today is August 9th, 2021. It bears considering that this coming Friday, August 13th, marks the 500-year anniversary of the end of the Aztec Empire, of the relinquishment of the great city of Tenochtitlan by its last leader, Cuauhtémoc, in 1521. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Go ahead and subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe so they can listen to upcoming shows. Look for our GoFundMe link in the podcast description. And now, an update about the GoFundMe campaign from Project 1521 member Darren J. De Leon. This is Darren De Leon, member of Project 1521. We are in the last three weeks of our GoFundMe campaign to raise funds for our forthcoming collection of poetry. To help our campaign become successful, we would love for you to share our campaign with friends and lovers of poetry. We also have some exciting news to share. Alley Poet Laureate Luis J. Rodriguez has written the powerful foreword for our collection. Rodriguez, who is the author of Always Running, has contributed an exciting reflection that helps the reader understand the context of our poetry. All members of Project 1521 are very proud of their efforts, as you can tell if you are a regular listener of this podcast. We want you to join our family of donors by contributing right now. This podcast has featured some of the powerful work that will appear in the upcoming publication. And for a $25 donation, we will ship you a copy of our collection anywhere in the continental United States. If you have already contributed, we want to thank you for your continued support. You can find the link to our GoFundMe campaign in the description of the podcast. Become family, donate now, and share our campaign. Thank you. Coming up on this show, I talk with Project 1521 writer Linda Ravenswood about the legacy of a key figure in the battle between Spain and the Aztec Empire, La Malinche. Often called the mother of Mexico, La Malinche, or Malincin, remains an enigma 500 years later. Historic records show that she was a young woman who was forced into slavery as part of a group of 20 women from different indigenous tribes of central Mexico, El Valle de Mexico, who were given to the Spaniards as sex slaves essentially. But she happens to be the one who is remembered because of her positionality as an interpreter, her political prowess, and her key role in the last three years of the battle for Tenochtitlan. And, of course, as the mother, the indigenous mother, of the son of conquistador Hernán Cortés. To give some contemporary context to Malincin's legacy, we're going to hear from scholar Amanda Nolasea Harris-Gray, yes, she's a relation, my sister, who is based in Illinois and writes about the philosophies of resistance. And she co-authored an anthology about La Malinche and her mythic role in feminism. Historically speaking, it's unquestionable that she was intelligent, politically astute, and ambitious. She was also uniquely positioned between two major world patriarchal powers in conflict. 
to find a path for her own empowerment. This makes her a feminist icon. She has been viewed as a foremother and as an icon of empowerment for women of color, specifically for women, Latina women, Mexican and Chicana women. Her empowerment, however, was an individual kind of empowerment. Her empowerment was not on behalf of improving conditions for all the women in her world. It wasn't an empowerment vested in the well-being or justice of the community to which she belonged. In fact, it's questionable whether or not she felt any sense of belonging to a community at all, given her own personal history. In fact, her self-empowerment actually plays out regardless of trying to read into motivations and intentions. Her self-empowerment contributes to a war effort. There's no way of knowing whether her actions and use of language made things better or worse given the hugeness of the tidal wave of war. However, I am not a relativist and I don't believe that there is a rationale and a positioning that can justify things, maybe to explain people's actions, but not to justify them. Does one use their gifts and their positioning to help others in need, to contribute to the greater well-being and the greater good? Or does one use their own gifts and talents and positioning for their own personal ambition and amassing of wealth or power or status? I know my answer to that question. And I think that that is a question that oftentimes, because of the limits of history, we can't answer about someone else. We can only answer that about ourselves. Since this is a poetry podcast, I asked Project 1521 collaborator Linda Ravenswood to connect the impetus of La Malinche with the hybrid identities and works of Andalusian writer Federico García Lorca. Linda starts us off with her own hybrid positionality as a woman and a writer. I'm Linda Cristina Ravenswood de Montaño. I'm a Californio. I am the daughter of a white woman whose um, ancestors are Mayflower descendants. So I'm a Mayflower descendant, I guess is what I'm saying, on, on my mother's side. And then on my father's side, I am the product of Cortez and whatever her name was, the sobriqueta that we call La Malinche. My father's family comes from the peninsula, very close to the very tip of Baja California in a place called La Ribera. They were the products themselves of Scottish missionaries and corsarios who came from Spain and England and Italy to the waters off of the Baja. I could tell you I'm an artist, I'm a teacher, I'm a mother, but really at my core, amazingly, for all the places I've traveled and 
all the hats I've worn. I'm really the product of that mother and that father and the intermingling of their stories and lines of DNA. And that seems to continue to inform everything that I do, the way that I am in the borderland always, like La Malinche, like Garcia Lorca, the way those people in New Mexico and Texas call themselves frontier people, fronterizos. There is not an alienation feeling, but there is definitely this nebulous, tactile, vulnerable, mutable, I don't know, diaphanosity that kind of accompanies me, right? So I'm totally an American in this, in this pod, right? Because that's really what America seems to be all about. And so for me, this whole project and talking about someone like Malinche, I mean, it's absolutely in my wheelhouse because it's absolutely who I am. I just, I love that word diaphanosity. And I think <laughs> that it's very, it's particular to the, the positionality that um, Malinche, Malincin had when you have 500 years of history coming from languages that have been lost, languages that have been recovered, languages that are, have almost been lost, languages that were never conquered, and then the imperial language, which is Spanish, and we're speaking in English, there are many layers of what the understanding could be of what really happened, like what really went down. It's an interesting positionality. And I think that in a way it really underscores, like with Garcia Lorca, that idea of the canto hondo, the idea that it's these all of these blendings, these mixings, this deep cry, this cry of the storyteller, the cry of, of the woman giving birth, these cyclical things that seem to switch on to silent and then rise up in the cry. Such a the wanderingness, right? And for me, in this idea of what is the end of conquest, the end of this 500-year cycle, not to think about for me so much, was she a traitor? I throw that question out. Was she, even, even was she, um, the, the way that she was used, right? These are important questions, feminist questions, social justice questions. But for me, I'm concentrating on she was fabulous. And she gave birth in that creed de cœur kind of way to a whole new ethic, a whole new kind of being that for some reason we're not able to fully embrace. So in some ways, I want to make the end of conquest, have us interrogate why we're carrying these bags of, of deformity when we don't have to necessarily shine the light there. We can shine the light somewhere else to something luminous and remarkable, brilliant, fabulous, full of the pathos of life, right? Like the song, right? Like the, the canto hondo, right? So that's where I'm coming from. I, I love that, Linda. I think that that's essentially thinking, what does it mean to be unconquered and to really still be here and talking about that long history and to have knowledge of it and to have access to it. I think that that 
scholarliness and the popularity of the scholarliness, the way that it's shared through popular culture, painting, education, that is the resiliency and that is the legacy and everything that's complicated that comes along with it. Um, yeah. To focus on that grit and that resilience rather than on victimization or even the volatility around a word like traitor, right? I deny in this moment, in this moment of understanding where we want to go, right? I know it's aspirational. I know it's maybe too hopeful because of all the baggage, right? But in the sense that we acknowledge the complexities of how we got here, how she got there to Cortez, how they got then to Tenochtitlan, how all of that went down. But here we are, here we are, let's, let's investigate the resilience and the possibilities and the luminousness of that of that birth. Well, let's take that a step further. I know that we were, you know, speaking of Federico Garcia Lorca's work, and it seems like what a bizarre stretch to make from the 500 year recognition of the end of the conquest to 1921 in Spain, <laughs> but yet it isn't. It's such perfect. A, yeah. It is perfect because he, he was very much involved in El Canto Hondo, uh, El Poema del Canto Hondo, the, the poem of the deep song, uh, yes. was sort of his, these were like his coming out poems um, mm -hmm. in 1921, mm -hmm. 400 years after the end of the conquest. Yeah, with the idea of New Spain and Spain, of being that, you know, outsider, that Andalusian man, right? The idea of love and death and life and alienation right and bringing in the heat the the, the <laughs> jewish and the arab cultures the, absolutely the roma culture yeah the moors the jews the arab and and the roma yeah that that whole genre is able to to offer the alembic for something new to happen right some new and incredible uh, other iteration of the great cry of, of the human being right which is so important and um, yeah, I, I would love it if we could share a little bit of that poem. I have a book here that is uh, some translations. There's the Spanish and the English translation by Carlos Bauer, City Light Books, San Francisco. So uh, shout out to you all at City Light Books. This is a, it's a beautiful tome. And I'm wondering, is there is there one that you want to read, Linda? Sure, I would love to. Yes. And shout out to uh, our Mecca as poets, City Light Books. We'll see you in September for our reading. Oh, I'm so excited. And so uh, will you um, will you read the Spanish, and, and then of course I'll read the translation so we can hear it in its mother language first. Sure, let me wait for this helicopter to pass by, if it ever does. This is, the, this is, <laughs> this is our, 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 our state of affairs people in the great city of Los Angeles, California, is we have a constant drone of helicopters, no matter where we happen to be. So. <laughs> With that, um, this is uh, Federico García Lorca's El Paso de la Seguridad. Entre mariposas negras va una muchacha morena junto a una blanca serpiente de niebla. Tierra de luz, cielo de tierra, va encadenada al temblor 
de un ritmo que nunca llega. Tiene el corazón de plata y un puñal en la diestra. ¿A dónde vas, seguiría, con un ritmo sin cabeza? ¿Qué luna recogerá tu dolor de cal y adelfa, tierra de luz, cielo de tierra? So beautiful. Mm. The passing stage of the Sigurilla. Among black butterflies goes a dark-haired girl next to a white serpent of mist. Earth of light, sky of earth. She is chained to the tremor of a never-arriving rhythm. She has a heart of silver and a dagger in her right hand. Where are you going, Sigurilla, with such a headless rhythm? What moon will gather up your pain of whitewash and oleander, earth of light, sky of earth? So beautiful. Um, yeah. Mm. You, I mean, in, it, Lorca believed that the El Canto Hondo, it was uh, sort of four, four distinct realms or parts of yes. the soul and a mourning while living and a cycle mm. of life and death together. And I'm quoting from this introduction from this book, just to give a context, if I may. Lorca believed this song to be the genuine, perfect prototype of deep song, the one that most preserved its ancient origins. Segurias are sung with a rising emotional tension interrupted by sudden cries of anguish and the unexpected silences. The lyrics express life's most tragic dramas and its intensest moments. Because of its extreme emotional demands, mastering the Sigurdia is the apex of a singer's quest. So this is like the, the pinnacle of the way in which the songs, the, the songs that preceded flamenco before it became popular. These are the 1477 roots of these songs. Right, I, I recall in that wonderful introduction that flamenco is the local color And Canto Hondo, that is the, the deep song, the deep rooted cry, that cri de coeur. I mean, were you just describing birth? Were you describing this, the act of, of divine sex just then? Or were you describing duende moving and making us sing, right? It's those cycles so important to, to our existence. I mean, it just, it sounds like, like a human life cycle, the life cycle of of a butterfly or of a season of love. Yeah. I love that. So Linda, are there any poems that, that you would want to share that tie yeah. into the theme? I would love to share a poem in progress. It's called, If We Die Tonight. If we die tonight, if we're on the floor tonight, collapsed in the shower tonight, If we fall through and our wife sees us falling wet strawberries in her hands, I love you. If we die tonight, 
under the pier, our wet raincoat in the car by the side of the road near the tree where Lorca is buried. Oh, if only we'd known some illusion of love or even its shiny outer coating or even if we doubted love at every turn, I love you. If we die tonight, mangled, hurt, happy for hungry, skinny for fulfilled, able for challenged and permutations thereon, even if we never get known or get it quite right a day late and all shortcomings. I love you. My tribute to Lurka. Oh, oh, that is brave and bold and beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Thank you for following Project 1521. Linda Ravenswood's poetry will appear in our forthcoming book. We're putting the finishing touches on it, but we don't quite yet have the money to run the first print. So, you know what I'm going to say, please go to the GoFundMe link and be the one to help us reach our goal. We do appreciate it. And remember, tell two friends to subscribe to our podcast if you enjoyed it. There'll be new episodes coming each Monday. Thank you.